100 kids here, so it was just incredible. So um, yeah, if, if I'm lacking energy this morning, I'm going to blame it on that. No, I think we'll be all right. We've gotten some sleep. We'll be good. Um, a couple announcements before we dig into 1 Corinthians this morning. Um, we're doing bag hunger to help people out, so if, you're, if you've gotten a bag uh, in the past few weeks, you can just put that on the table out in the foyer on your way out. And then you just need to remember water. That's all you need to remember, water. Next week, baptism. And then in a few weeks, as you see in your program, we've got a pool party coming. So water, just remember that. Okay, we're going to jump into 1 Corinthians 14 together this morning. And we're going to start in verse 23. And we've, we've got a lot of ground to cover. And more than just a lot of text, we have some really kind of weighty, more difficult text. And I'm excited this morning because I think I can safely say that this is the last kind of difficult, controversial text before we get done with Corinthians. So let's do it together. It'll be great. So let's start in verse 23, 1 Corinthians 14, 23. It says, If therefore the whole church comes together, so let me just stop there. He's starting a new section. He's talking about when the church gathers. So here this morning, corporate worship. He's talking about when you guys gather as a church. Here's, here's what happens. So verse 23. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or believers enter, they will not say that you are out of your, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and, un, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he's convicted by all. He's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So he's transitioning. He was talking about prophecy in tongues. And Joey did a great job talking about that last week. And so if you're, we're reading this and you're like, hey, he's like skipping over this prophecy in tongues stuff. Go back, listen to Joey's last week. Did an awesome job on that. That's not the focus of this next section. So we're not going to make it the focus here this morning. But he's saying here, you know, when spiritual gifts are done properly, you experience God's presence. Right? He says at the end of verse 25, that they would fall on their face and worship God and declare God is really among you. So really, the goal of corporate worship, the goal of, For the Corinthians and the goal for us when we get together like we are this morning for corporate worship, the goal should be that everyone experiences God's presence. That everybody experiences God's presence. That everyone in here, whether you believe in Jesus or don't, or you're a new believer, have been a believer for 50 years, that, that we would all experience the presence of God, that we would all encounter God. That's the goal. That's what, that's what we're trying to do here. That's what Paul lines out here for us. That God is really among you. Now, God's always present everywhere, right? So, in one sense, yeah, we... God is here, so we are experiencing God. But there's a special way in which God manifests his presence sometimes where it's more palpable. And, and I, I think a lot of us could attest to this where it's like we really know that, that he is present. And it's undeniable to even where he's saying in here that unbelievers would walk in and go, wow, I don't even know if I believe in God, but something's going on there. That's, that's the goal. No one's mistaken that God is here when we meet. And that everyone would experience this. 
And if here, I know it's only talking about unbelievers, but if unbelievers, how much more believers who have the Holy Spirit in them, would they recognize, oh yeah, God is really up to something here this morning as we meet. And Paul mentions here what experiencing God's presence means and looks like. You back up verse 24, he's talking about, he says they'll be convicted and the secrets of their heart will be disclosed. So people will realize their sin, that they've offended a holy God. They'll have an experience like Isaiah 6, where the prophet Isaiah has this, has this vision and he is in the presence of God, in the throne room of God. And what happens? He falls to the ground and he goes, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. He, realize, he realizes his sin. He's convicted because he's in the presence of a holy God. So whenever we truly encounter God, we're going to be convicted of our sin. If church services don't produce conviction of sin, you're not doing church right. But it doesn't stop there. It says that they'll fall on their face in verse 25. Now, does that mean literally? Not necessarily. This just means that you're humbled. Your heart posture is reverent. You're in awe of God. I mean, it could be physical, but it's when you're moved inwardly. And, and often that, that accompanying that is an outward expression of being in awe of God. That's often why people raise their hands or even get on their knees in worship. It's because they're just amazed at God and His greatness and His glory falling on our faces. We realize how holy he is He is. And the only response is, wow, you are amazing, God. And then we declare, God is really among us. That was the goal that Paul gave the Corinthian church. And that's our goal now. That's why one of our, our core DNA is to celebrate. It's about, uh, the three C's, celebrate, connect, contribute. We want to celebrate God. We don't want to just show up here and do church. We don't want to just say we met and check it off a box. We don't want to just do it to be good Christians. We want people to be convicted of sin and fall in worship, but then rise and declare that God is really among us. Because we met, we were met here this morning, not just with our sin and a great God, but then we're amazed at the Savior who gave his life on the cross that we just sang about, right? Came, was crucified for a people that didn't deserve it. We're met with, with our sin, but, yet, but then respond with gratefulness for our Savior. So how do we help people do that? Well, Paul continues. Look at verse 26. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and, even, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged, and the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. Okay, how do we help people experience God's presence in corporate worship? Order is the big thing that Paul's talking about here. Order. And specifically in this part, 
verse 26 to 32. He's talking about order with spiritual gifts. Now, just to give you a little bit of context of what's happening, because a lot of this is like, I don't even know what he's talking about. I've never seen anything like that in a corporate worship service. What's going on? Well, the Corinthians had a very different worship service than we have right here and that we're used to here in America. It was more like kind of a Bible study where everyone helps lead. If you're familiar with like a Socratic method of teaching, I wouldn't come and uh, like this this morning and teach you. We would sit, uh, sit down and I would just pose a question. We would all be like teaching each other. Okay, that's, that's what their worship service was like. So that helps us understand a little bit more what's going on here. But you could see how it would be that much more important to have order in a service where there's no clear leader, where it's just kind of everyone contributing, right? And Paul is kind of a broken record here. He says in verse 26 that this all should be done for building others up. You know, he started that in, verse, in chapter 12. Verse 7, spiritual gifts, they're all about building up. In chapter 13, hey, wait, spiritual gifts are all about building up others and loving others. Chapter 14, verse 3 says the same thing. It's about building others up. So he's saying here, take turns. Take turns. So he's talking about prophecy and tongues, but whatever gifts you have, just take turns. Don't all go at once, okay? It's not, it'd, be, it'd be really weird if Joey and I both got up here on on Sunday and started preaching a sermon at the same time. Okay. No one would really get anything out of that except for maybe some entertainment. (laughs) Okay. Wouldn't help us encounter God and experience God. Now, have you ever, have you ever had on your device, on your phone or your, your laptop or computer or whatever, where you somehow have like two videos playing at the same time? Isn't that annoying? Or like two audio clips? It, It might sound something like this. Yuck. I mean, it's just horrible. No one wants to. Let's cut it. I can't stand any more of that. That's, but that's what it would be like. The, the Corinthians would show up and they'd all, everyone would be trying to speak at once and, and prophesy and, and use their gifts at once. And it was just chaos. And Paul's saying, you need, that's, I'm glad you guys are excited, but it has to have order to it. He's saying, you know what? You can help it. It sounds like maybe they were saying, we can't help it. We're just going for it. Like, no, you you can use your gifts in an orderly way. Just because you have a message or a tongue doesn't mean you can't control it. And he kind of caps it in verse 32. He says, and the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. What's that mean? Well, this is really helpful. New Living Translation says, remember that people who prophesy are in control of their spirit and can take turns. That's, that's the gist of what he's saying. Just because you have a gift doesn't mean you can't control it, no matter what the gift is. So there needs to be order. So today, what does that mean for us? Well, that's why we plan an order of service here. You know, we don't just come up and go, yeah, well, maybe, Justin, you want to do a song now? I don't know. Um, no, wait, just kidding. I, I, I'm going to preach a little bit. Um, Announcements, we forgot, let's just do the, you know. No, we, ha- we have it planned out. We have it an order of service. Things going on. Order helps people experience the presence of God. Now, why is order so important? It's not just because Paul said it here, although that's true. It's because of verse 33. Look at verse 33. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. 
Here's why order is so important. Order reflects God who is orderly. He's con- Paul is contrasting God with the gods of the Corinthians, the idols that they were worshiping. And in their worship services, there would be confusion. There would be chaos if you went to, other, to worship other deities in Corinth. And Paul's saying that's, that's not how it is with God. The Corinthians were allowing all this chaos. And they were, by doing that, allowing this chaos in their worship service, they were saying that God is chaotic and God is disorderly. Now think about that for a second. That is a horrible misrepresentation of God. If God is chaotic, if God is just randomly moving and working, can he be trusted? No. Will he be faithful to his promises? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Can we be sure we'll have eternal life with him forever? No. See, our faith crumbles if God is chaotic. But God is not. He is orderly. It says here, God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. He's orderly. He's peaceful. He has a plan. He's not haphazardly doing things. He can be trusted. And he can be trusted to be faithful to his promises. We can have rock-solid assurance of eternal life with him. Because he said that. God has and will order everything perfectly. And as we gather and worship, it's incredibly important that we reflect His order. Failure to do so misrepresents God. I'd like to share a quote from theologian Gordon Fee. He says, The character of one's deity is reflected in the character of one's worship. Put that really well. Now he continues in verse 34. Ladies, I know this is probably, you have this memorized, it's on your fridge. So uh, the women should keep silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Okay, next section. No, (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So he's actually continuing a thought here of order. So there needs to be order with spiritual gifts, but there needs to be order with gender roles as well. And so I was trying to figure out what is going on here. And I really agree with with what this guy said on this website that sounds kind of um, not credible, but it's actually a great website. It's called gotquestions.org and anything I've read on that has been rock, uh, on that website has been rock solid um, and biblical so I would recommend that if you're having questions about the Bible that's a great place to go but they say this the immediate context has to do with the delivery of prophecy and the deliberation about the prophecy if someone offers a prophecy to the church in the public meeting the church is to pass judgment upon it 1 Corinthians 14.29 that is the church is to weigh it and evaluate it to see if it is truly from God. And if so, what action should be taken? It seems that the best contextual understanding is that women are to keep silent in this deliberative process, since evaluating prophecy is an exercise of spiritual authority. Okay. He's saying here, women are to keep silent in the Corinthian church 
when they're deliberating about prophecies. So, remember, they're all coming together and everyone's like saying, God said this, God said that. Well, they had to have some sort of process to figure out what, what is God actually saying? Because people could just be coming and saying that God said it and not be from God. So, he's saying, when trying to figure that out, for order's sake, we're going to have the men figure that out. Okay, he's not contradicting himself from chapter 11, where in chapter 11 he said that women can pray and prophesy in church. So we look at the context. Here it's talking about prophecy, it's talking about tongues. So when he's saying they can't speak, he's saying just in this process. Okay, he's basi- The issue for today is authority. Authority in the church is the role of men. And I know what I just said is very countercultural. But women can pray and speak during our church services here. They do. This is talking about authority. This is talking about a leadership. Leadership is reserved for men. And in the context of our church, that's the pastors and elders who lead the church. Why? Not because men are of greater value. We're all created in the image of God. It's the order that God has put in place in the church. We saw it from the very beginning with the created order, right? Created Adam and then Eve. Not because Adam is more important, but to give some roles and functions. You ever met in a group that doesn't really have a leader? It doesn't work out so well, does it? It's just chaos. We saw in 1 Corinthians 11, Joey did a great job on that passage. As hard as it is talking about men's and women's roles. And so here at Stonebridge, this also means the authoritative preaching of God's word in this setting right here. And we, we get that from 1 Timothy 2, and we could spend a lot of time in that, on that. But I want to keep reading from gotquestions.org. It says, further complications could also arise. What if a wife questioned her husband's prophecy or disagreed with her husband's evaluation of a prophecy? In that case, it would be proper for her to hold her peace in the assembly and ask him about it privately at home. Verse 35, this would show respect for her husband's spiritual authority and minimize the possibility of disorder in the church. You see, the goal was order for a chaotic Corinthian church. Now, what he's proposing here is that if, if a woman didn't agree with her husband's decision. They're trying to figure out, is this from God? And he's like, yeah, that's from God. And and the wife's like, no, I don't think that's from God at all. Wait till you get home, talk about it there. Um, But we're gonna gonna create some sort of structure and order here so so that people can lead. Maybe a modern day um, example of this, which would make sense to everyone, would be, while I'm preaching up here, my wife Heather doesn't always agree with the things that I'm saying, believe it or not. Now, it would be incredibly disorderly and disrespectful to me as a leader if she stood up in the middle of service and went, I don't agree with that. Okay, she hasn't done that yet. Maybe she will today. I don't know. But, but right, you see how that would just create some chaos. But she does, and I invite her to later come to me and go, hey, you know, this and this, I don't know if that was... If that was right on. I don't even know if that was biblical. Okay, let's talk about it. That would maybe be um, what this would look like in our culture. But really, the issue again here 
is spiritual authority. And now he's talking about spiritual authority at home. Men, we're supposed to be leading our family spiritually. I think the big question for us and for men in particular here is, (laughs) bless you, Andrea. (laughs) I'm sorry I drew drew so much attention to that. Um, Men, if your wives had questions about the Bible and they came to you with those questions, would you be able to answer them? Do you know your Bibles well enough, men, that you could give an answer? If your kids have, when your kids have questions about the Bible, who do they go to, mom or dad? It's not that they can't go to mom and ask her questions. That's great. I'm just saying, do they know that dad is leading spiritually in the home? I know I'm a man talking about this. So I wanted to quote a woman who agrees. So this gal, Stacy Roach, is talking about a book called Passion and Purity by Elizabeth Elliot, which is a fantastic book from what my wife tells me. I've never read it, but I've read this part. So um, she says, in the chapter, A Harmony of Differences, Elizabeth highlights the beauty of God's order and authority in the universe. Through this chapter, I was given a framework for considering authority within an an understanding of the three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus submits to the Father out of the principle of authority, yet he is not any less than God the Father. Do you see what he's saying here? God himself functions like this. Jesus submits to God the Father. God the Father is leading, but that doesn't mean they're of any less value. It's to bring order. God is a God of order. And so it's not demeaning at all to say that, hey, man, you're going to lead in the church. You're going to lead at home. It's just roles. It's functions, not value. She continues, all three persons are equal in value, yet have different roles. This was key for me, being able to embrace my differing role as a woman. God values me just as much as a man, but has a different role for me in this world. Equal in value, different in role, was something I had never before considered. Elizabeth helped me to see the beauty of God's complementary design instead of seeing it as a competitive relationship. Adam and Eve, both image bearers, reflected God in their differing roles. See, this God, even in his very nature, functions with equal value but different roles. It's consistent with God's nature to have order with gender. And when we have order with gender roles in the church, it helps people experience God's presence when we meet together. This is the way that it works best. And I would contend that churches and families without male spiritual leadership will not flourish. Okay, the last thing that he says about order is that you need to just have order with everything. He caps it. So jump down to verse 40. But all things should be done decently and in order. So he's talked about spiritual gifts. He's talked about gender roles. Now he's saying, in everything you do, when you gather, have it be ordered. So everything we do in corporate worship needs to be ordered as well. 
There's nothing more unattractive and not peaceful than no direction. Uh, maybe we'll sing a song next. Hmm, which one? Not sure. Hey, let's do baptisms today. Wait, there's no water in there. Okay, it doesn't, it doesn't work. Okay, we need to have order with everything. That's what he's saying. Order helps people experience God's presence because God is orderly. Now, how else can we help people experience God's presence? Verse 39. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. So I just want to hang out on earnestly desire. Here's what needs to happen. Everybody, when we come to worship, everybody needs to come eager to build other people up, eager to edify others. Everybody needs to do that. We see kind of sprinkled throughout this passage, verse 26, he says, build up. All this needs to be done to build up. Do you come to church eager to help other people grow in Christ-likeness? What kind of questions do you ask other people when do you come to church? I think, I think I'd contend from this passage that we should be talking way less about the weather and our weekend and way more about how God's working in our lives when we gather. When would you show up if you were eager to help other people, to help build other people up? When would you show up to church? How late would you stay? Or are you just coming to church to consume? Are you asking questions like, what's most convenient for me with church? How can I receive from other people today? What can I get out of this service today? See, those are the wrong questions. Come eager to build other people up. It's not about me. Verse 31 talks about encouragement. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. You come eagerly desiring to encourage other people when you come to church. Do you think on your way to church, okay, who is really struggling? Who needs encouragement today? And then intentionally go find them, build them up, speak life, love on that person. Are you quick to encourage people as they use their gifts? As when you come to church, you see other people serving, using their gifts. Are you quick to point that out and go, thank you so much? Are you quick to pray for people right then and there who are hurting? Or do you just say, I'll pray for you and walk away and never pray for them? Or do you just come hoping, waiting, expecting to be encouraged yourself? Do you walk around kind of like an empty cup, begging other people to fill you up? Please accept me, fill me up. And we should be finding that in our Savior, in Jesus, and come ready to pour out. Are you mad when no one talks to you, even though you didn't talk to anyone else? Are you so focused on your own problems that you don't ask other people about their problems? Do you come eager to encourage? And then verse 39, right here, it says, So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy. Maybe, maybe some of you never even thought about this, but do you come to church eager for God to speak through you to other people? He, he could have you today speak to other people. On his behalf. 
Do you pray for opportunities to speak life, hope, grace, truth into other people's lives when you come to church? Do you take opportunities to speak life, hope, grace, and truth into other people's lives? Or do you just come hoping, waiting, expecting God to speak to you? Now that's good. That's good. We should have times regularly where it's like, yes, God is speaking to us in corporate worship. That's great. But we need to come expecting not just for God to speak to us, but maybe for him to then speak through us to other people. You're filled up so you can pour out. So as I look at this passage and I kind of evaluate Stonebridge Church and our corporate worship gathering, I think there's plenty of order. I think there's plenty of focus on God's word. But Stonebridge's corporate worship needs more people coming expecting to experience God's presence. Not just gain knowledge. You want to learn more about the Bible? Awesome. That's good. In fact, let's look at this passage here. So we see... Um, in verse 36 through 38, or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Here's what Paul's asking them. Do you guys get to make up scripture? Do you doubt that my words in this letter are from God? See, the Corinthians were just listening to each other, but doubting Paul's words, which was God's words, which was Scripture. They'd rather listen to themselves than God. And today, we cannot experience God together without His Word being central. So we need order. We need God's Word. We need to come eagerly expecting to edify other people, to build other people up. But I'm wondering if you come to church just expecting to learn something. You know, John chapter 5, starting in verse 39, he says, he's talking to the the spiritual leaders, the equivalent of pastors in those days. He said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. He's rebuking them. He's saying you're missing the point. If you're just here to gain knowledge on Sunday morning, you miss the point. You come begging God to show up in an unmistakable way. Or are you just treating this like a college class? Because if you are, there's lots of books, commentaries, resources out there, sermons that are better than mine that could help you learn more about this passage and showing up here. One of my favorite authors and teachers, Francis Chan, he was talking about when he would go to this college and they'd do worship before he spoke and he spoke there regularly and there'd be this gal on the worship team who was singing and and it just seemed like every time she had, she had more excitement, more passion. She was just more genuinely into worship than the last time. 
And he's like, what is going on with this guy? How does she do that? So he just comes up and asks her after this service. He's, he's like, how do, how do you do that? I want that. And she's like, well, I just pray, th- pray this simple prayer. I go, God, you know what? You are a creator. You created everything. So you can create something better today than last time that we met. A, a, a more incredible experience, a more genuine experience of worshiping God for who he is. So she prayed that, and God was faithful to do it, and she came expecting God to be among her and among the people in an even powerful way than before. I think we need to take a note from her. God's our creator. God create an experience this morning where we experience your presence through your word, through your people. We become eager to edify other people as well. We're not just eager to receive from others. So Stonebridge Church, we need to be asking, how can I help other people encounter God today? When you're driving to church, Saturday night, how can I help other people encounter God? How can I build up other people? How can I encourage other people today? How can I be God's hands, God's feet, God's mouthpiece today? No more can we just passively do church. This week at VBS, I heard about a person who came and they just poured out their heart and their struggles and their life to someone else who was here. And then this person said, hey, can you pray for me? Now, this other person was kind of shocked by the whole experience, right? They're just like, oh, wow. I, yeah, I'll pray for you. And they prayed for him. It was great. How about you? If that happened to you today, someone just came up, shared their whole life, laid their heart out to you, would you be willing and ready to pray for them? Better yet, do you come expecting to do that? Do you come looking for opportunities to intentionally reach out? Hey, what's going on? And encourage them and pray for them and check up on them. Stonebridge, let's move from becoming a welcoming church because I think we are that, definitely. Let's move from becoming a welcoming church to a powerful church by becoming eager to impact others when we show up here on Sunday morning. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you're here with us, God. You're always with us. I just pray that all of us, Lord, would come eager for you to use us, that we would, you would just, just erase this mindset that we have of coming to church to, to be filled up ourselves. I mean, that's good, but help it not to stop there, Lord. We want to come ready to pour out. That's what the church means. It's the gathered ones. We're here for one another. We're here to point other people to Jesus. So God, change our hearts. Help us come eagerly expecting you to use us as we come. Forgive us for the past where we've just made it about us and our desires. We pray that not only today, but but for future 
services when we gather, God, that it would be just unmistakable where everyone would just go, yeah, God was here this morning, and that you would get all the praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.